Welcome back to the uh, Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon, where summer has hit. It's beautiful, upper 70s, lower 80s. Just a great time to, to be up here. Skies are clear. I can see Smith Rock from my window here in my office. And welcome back. We are going through our uh, summer series in the book of Psalms. Summer. Yeah, I guess now it's summer. I know we started in April, but it's our summer series. And uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 61. So if you have your Bible and you like to follow along as you listen to this podcast, uh, go ahead and grab that uh, a story as we begin. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in uh, California in the Bay Area. I grew up in San Jose. And in 78, we had to uh, move from our one house that we had lived in for a couple of years uh, to South San Jose to a bigger house because my mom was pregnant with my little sister. Um, and so it was a nice home. It was a good neighborhood, had some good friends down there. But for the first time in my life, we lived by a pyracantha bush. Now, if you've ever seen a pyracantha bush, it's uh, you'll know that it is a big, green, thorny bush characterized by very small red berries. The the dense, thorny structure of the, the bushes make them really good uh, for situations where you, you need a barrier required. And so in South San Jose, the backyards often would have these alongside the fence to, to just give a little bit more privacy between backyards. Now, uh, here's where I'm going with this description of the bushes, uh, because while the pyracantha berries are apparently safe for human consumption, the seeds are mildly poisonous, and they contain a substance called cyanogenic glycoside, which I guess if consumed in a large amount, it, it can actually uh, make you sick or cause intoxication. So while human beings probably would not consume toxic amounts, although apparently you can actually make jelly out of this, go figure, so maybe that's how you can consume too much. But when birds eat those pyracantha berries, watch out. As we found out one particular summer day, mom was in the kitchen at the sink, which was uh, right below our kitchen window that overlooked the fence between our yard and our neighbor's yard. And there was a huge pyracantha bush that you could see from the kitchen window. And as she was doing the dishes, all of a sudden, bam, something hit the window hard, scared the living daylights out of my mom. I remember her screaming. <laughs> um I, I rushed into the, the kitchen, so did my older sister. We wanted to see what was going on, and there were, bam, another another uh, loud noise, and something hit the window. And it was then that Mom saw that there were two birds who were literally attacking the window. They were flying. They were flinging themselves into the window. Shades of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds were flashing through all of our minds, uh, they, they were they were seeming to attack us. They, they were trying to, to get to us. And so mom freaked out, called dad. And uh, needless to say, we stayed out of the kitchen the rest of the afternoon. Uh, later on that week, a friend from church, when we told them about the incident, they, they told us actually it's very common for birds to actually eat the pyracantha berries and get drunk off of them. Okay, And then as they would be drunk on these pyracantha berries, they would see... Uh, in the nearby windows, they would see their reflection. And so they would attack, being very territorial. They would see this other bird, 
which was just their reflection, by the way, and they would attack themselves, their, their own reflection. They literally thought their reflection was their enemy. Now, I believe that this illustrates a very appropriate thought for us as we consider the next psalm in our series, Psalm 61. Because at times when you and I face uh, overwhelming situations in life, we might feel attacked. We might feel like we're in trouble. But, but often, often, it's a consequence of our own doing, if we were to be honest. It's like we're attacking ourselves. So what do we do at those times, times when the enemy is us? Times when you cannot blame anybody except for yourself. It's it's like, um, I, I think it was a Pogo cartoon that I saw one time that says, we have met the enemy and he is us. If you and I were to be honest, could we admit that a lot of the battles that we have in life are simply the result of our own actions, our own sin, our own stupidity sometimes? And before we go blaming the devil, uh, I've known people to say, oh, Trey, the devil is really attacking me right now. I think it might be wise to take a step back and take an honest look about how did you really get into that mess that you're in? The person who is able to do this is most likely a person who has grown in the grace of humility. And humility is where we find King David as he writes Psalm 61, whose backstory, by the way, the backstory to this psalm, most scholars believe, does not paint a very flattering picture of David, this man after God's own heart. Uh, let me summarize from the book of Second Samuel, chapter 13. King David has had many wives, he's had many concubines, and as a result, he has many children. His firstborn, presumed to be the heir of the throne, was named Amnon. Now, Amnon, as he grew up, fell in love with his half-sister, a young woman named Tamar, or at least he fell in lust with her. He became heartsick over her, and, and he told his cousin he felt he had to have his sister, Tamar. So one day, while pretending to be sick in bed, he lured Tamar to his bedside under the guise of having her help him recuperate. And as she came close to him, as he lay there in bed, he grabbed her and forced himself onto her. Now, after having his way with her, uh, his mental state shifted, and he began to actually hate her for what he had done to her. It's frightening how often lust works just this very way. You want somebody, you lust after them, you think you're in love, but once you force the issue, something happens and you have this change of opinion. You see the person in a different light and you're often repelled by that very person that you had been attracted to. And this is what happens to Amnon. And as a result, he throws Tamar out of his home, rejecting her, refusing to take responsibility for what he had done to her. Now, news of this abuse made its way to Tamar's brother, a, a guy named Absalom. Now, Absalom was David's third oldest son, and he demands to know the truth from Tamar. He heard, he heard the rumors. He goes to her and says, is this true? And while she does admit <clears throat> the attack, the, the rape, she then tells him, though, we need, let's just keep this quiet. Let it go. Let's not do anything about it. Well, Absalom can't do that. He takes it upon himself 
to, to exact revenge for what has happened to Tamar. He brings Tamar into his own home. He says, well, if Amnon's going to not take care of you, I'm going to take care of you. And uh, he begins to plot. Now, news of this gets around to King David. And as you might have guessed, he was furious at the situation. But what's odd is he does nothing. He does nothing to to uh, scold or to um, uh, punish Amnon. He does nothing to console or to take care of Tamar. And so Absalom, who is indignant at his brother and angry at his father for everything that has been done to his sister and, and the apathetic response to the abuse, he is seething. But yet he does not let anybody know what he knows, not for a long time. For two years, this crime burns in his heart and in his mind. And finally comes an opportunity for uh, Absalom to avenge his sister's reputation. He gets Amnon alone and drunk. And then Absalom has his friends attack Amnon and kill him. Now, then Absalom, knowing that what he has done is not going to be seen in a very good light, he gets out of Dodge. He flees. Now, David is sick with grief at the news of Amnon's death, but is strangely relieved to find out that, well, I, so Amnon died, but at least Absalom didn't die as well. Absalom is eventually welcomed back into Jerusalem, but remains estranged from his father, David, for several years it seems like David's apparent indifference to Amnon's sin still consumes Absalom and it fuels his anger against his father. The, the relationship obviously is damaged. So Absalom begins to win the affections of many people in Israel. He begins to publicly criticize his father's um, inability to rule the kingdom well. And eventually he gathers enough loyal men around him willing to to make him king, that King David fears for his life and runs away. Uh, and Absalom then moves to usurp the kingship from his father and wages battle against David's men. It was at this time where Absalom is out for David, uh, out for his, his life, wanting to get rid of him so that he can be legitimately the king. It was at this time that David is thought to have written this psalm, Psalm 61. And so as we read it, you'll hear a heartfelt prayer that you can tell that David knows that he's in trouble. It's, it's a great time of tribulation and fear for him. And so let's read it together, uh, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 61. It says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. So let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Did you catch that David's in trouble? He is crying out to God. 
he he says in the past you've been my my refuge i need you to be my rock now so please help me please hear my prayer and if you did not know the background story that i just related to you you might think that david was crying out because again he's an innocent victim of uh, uh, an enemy an unnamed enemy how often have you heard a friend tell you a story where they make themselves out to be the victim but once you hear more of the story, you realize, well, they might have had a little bit more to do with the trouble that they're in than what they related to you as they told you the story. David is in trouble. And he is at least in partial trouble, partially because of his own choices. He is at least partially responsible for the trouble that he's in. Like like he's like that bird at our house in South San Jose attacking his own reflection because he's not thinking clearly. Victimhood. Boy, we live in an age of victimhood, don't we? And that's bad for a couple of reasons. First of all, obviously, it makes light of those who really are victims. You know, if people who really have not had a lot of trauma um, uh, foisted upon them, and not they, they've not yet s- suffered real, true abuse, when they call themselves victims, that kind of makes light of those people who really are victims, right? But secondly, uh, victimhood uh, allows us, many of us, to just deceive ourselves, making us blind to a, a problem that we must come to grips with if we are ever to overcome some of our faults. We think it's somebody else's fault. We think it's somebody else's doing. It's not our fault. We don't take responsibility. We're the victim. And because of that, we're blind to those things that must change in our life so that we cannot get into trouble again. We live in an age where, quote, the devil made me do it, end quote, is common, right? In fact, we like that mentality because that lets us off the hook. And though we may not always implicate the devil, Satan himself, we often do everything we can to implicate somebody else. It's not my fault, somebody else. And we throw them under the bus. Do you remember a few years back, actually probably a couple decades back, there was a big stink from the drive through customer who had spilled hot coffee on his lap at McDonald's. Remember that story? Forget that it was he who spilled his coffee. No, it, it it was McDonald's fault, obviously. In, in this guy's mind, it was McDonald's fault that the coffee was too hot. And so now you see warnings on the cup telling you that the beverage you were about to enjoy is hot. The hot beverage is, in fact, hot. And now we need a sign to tell us that. You know, there's a lot of signs out there that uh, are there because people are just dumb. Warning labels are pretty, pretty hilarious, actually. Um, they, they come about because people have done something And then they blame somebody else. They blame the manufacturer. So a warning label has to be added, like do not use snowblower on the roof. Now, by the way, that one, I probably, I can see myself doing that if I were to be honest. Um, Some other warning labels do not allow children to play in dishwasher. Okay, good, good, good advice. A warning that was on an electric carpentry router This product is not intended for use as a dental drill, which means, again, somebody did use a carpentry router as a dental drill. 
There was a sign on a baby stroller, remove child before folding. Really? Or a sticker on a public toilet in Michigan that warns people that uh, recycled flush water is unsafe for drinking. Ah, well, I, I was tempted. I kidding. On a blanket, inexplicably, inexplicably, it said not to be used as protection from a tornado. Okay. And then one of my very favorites, I saw this a long time ago, on a Superman Halloween costume. This costume does not enable people to fly. Good to know, right? Now, those labels exist because somebody somewhere did something stupid. But no, it wasn't their fault. No, it was the manufacturer's fault. All we know is that we're not to blame. Do you realize that the same thing can happen to us in our spiritual lives? We can... We can blame everybody else for the position that we're in. And if we run out of people to blame, we just blame God. But that allows us to avoid what's really going on inside of us. That, that avoids the enemy that we sometimes are to ourselves. That, that just hiding there in the stronghold of pride. But by blaming God, by blaming other people, it avoids recognizing that we are often the blame for the place or the situation or the predicament that we find ourselves in. You know, we need an attitude of humility in order to be able to recognize what's going on. See, there's a theme in Psalm 61 that we've seen before. David calling to to God for help. Hear my cry, O Lord, help me. I need you. And again, like other Psalms, we see David remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. I'm coming to you because in the past you've been my refuge. You've been a strong tower for me. And so the faithfulness of God is there. The faithfulness of God in the light of our own sinfulness, though, astounds me. Though he knows me, though he knows what I've done, he still provides a way for me to be made right with him. It's the grace that was given to Noah and to Abraham, who at times made bad decisions. It's the grace given to Jacob, who was a scoundrel. It was the grace given to Peter, who in fear denied knowing Jesus and ran away to save his own hide. It was the grace given to the Apostle Paul, who had been one of the greatest persecutors of the early church. It's the grace given to David. And it's that grace that David asks for in humility. He's calling on God to be faithful, to let him live longer, to let him stay king longer. But what is unique is this attitude of humility in light of what has happened. Because David knows what he has done. He knows that he is partially uh, responsible for the mess he is in. And so as he asks God to be faithful, he is asking God to be faithful amidst his sinfulness. And that, I believe, takes humility. See, if you look at verse 2 again, he says, From the ends of the earth I call to you. And he says, And when my heart is overwhelmed... Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that is higher than I. Therein lies a heart of humility. How so? Well, check it out. First of all, I think David has come to a realization that he is an admirer of his own making. He's running for his life from Absalom, in part because he wasn't a good father. He made some dumb decisions. That he did not give any sort of discipline or correction towards 
Amnon's abusive behavior towards Tamar. He didn't have any show of concern or care for Tamar in her victimization. The lack of response to then Absalom's actions in in killing his brother Amnon. In all of this, David is demonstrating this amazing lack of parental involvement, right? Or any kind of wisdom. Now, I would imagine that there are folks listening to this message who are struggling today with their own lack of parenting skills. Maybe they've neglected their kids. Maybe they've modeled a bad marriage. Maybe they've negatively affected the whole family because they were addicted to something and and couldn't shake that and let those things that they were addicted to become priorities. And I would imagine that there's some who live with a certain level of regret. You think that possibly King David knew what that was like? I, I bet so. I bet you that he was living in re- in regret. I bet he was regretting not dealing with his kids in a in a better way. Now, please understand this and hear me. I'm not trying to say that when kids grow up and they make their own choices and their bad choices that it's in every single instance it's the the parents' fault. Because not everything your kids decide to do is your fault. Um Though there are times that you might really mess things up. There were times I really messed things up. And and believe me, part of what my, my kiddos go through today is because I messed up. But not everything that they choose to do is on me. I have to remind myself that even in families where mom and dad do their very best to raise the kids to know Jesus and to walk in his ways, there are times when the kids grow up to follow their own path, to reject the faith that the parents raised them in. Sometimes the kids make decisions that are really harmful to themselves and to other people. It it happens, okay? And though my decisions as a parent might have contributed, it's not fair for me to take on the whole burden of responsibility. So I'm, I'm not blaming parents for everything that goes wrong in the kids' lives as they grow up. But, but it's important for us to recognize what we do contribute. See, yes, Amnon chose to do evil. Yes, that was his decision. Absalom chose to harbor bitterness and anger. Both of those boys made their decisions, and they were accountable for those decisions. But in the same vein, there can be no doubt that as David considers this mess that he was in leading up to his prayer in Psalm 61, that there that he had a part to play. He had some reason to regret his decisions as well. And so, though it might have just been a small contributor, he had to admit that he had a problem. Like step one in AA or the Celebrate Recovery Program. In admitting that you have a problem, you have to stop the insanity of trying to fix the problem on your own. There's this realization that maybe, just maybe, you don't have the answer to every problem or every situation that you encounter. And again, that takes humility. A humility to be willing to admit that, not just that you have a problem, but that it might just be that you caused the problem. And you need to find somebody else bigger than you that can fix things. So, in humility, David asks God to lead him to lead him to the place of deliverance. 
This is very similar to what we saw in Psalm 23 last week, that there's a path of righteousness, but because of our sin, because of our human limitation, we need to be led down the paths of righteousness. When will those of us who have claimed to follow Jesus really follow Jesus? When are we going to stop trying to live by our own discernment? When we know that we don't really know everything. There, there's a story I heard about a boy who was trying to move a very large rock in his backyard. But it was a huge rock. And, and, and he pushed and pulled with all of his might. He just couldn't do it. So he was discouraged and he came in moping inside the house. And dad said, um, well, were, were you uh, successful in moving that rock? The boy says, well, no. And it's frustrating because I tried and tried and tried with all my might, dad. I just couldn't do it. The dad says, did you really use all your might? Yes, I, I, I used all of my might. And dad said, no, you didn't, son, because you didn't come in and ask me. Humility should give us respite of trying to do it on our own, trying to make it to a safe place of safety on our own power, in our own wisdom. Humility should prompt us to say like David, Lord, lead me. You need to lead me because you know where it's at. You need to lead me to a rock. And then finally, David acknowledges that on his own, he cannot provide the safety and security that is needed at this time of his life. He knows he can build up only so far. But where he's built himself, that's not a place that's truly safe. You know, in nature, there is a higher place that will produce a, a level of security, provide a level of security, like, like a high water mark, for example. And and if you get to this place, you're safe from danger. You're safe from potential flooding, for example. Apparently, there's a snake line in the mountains where after you get above a certain altitude, uh, it's a little over 5,000 feet, I, I, I believe I read, where snakes don't go because it's too cold. So if you want to stay away from the danger of snakes, you get to a higher place. We talk about getting to safety getting to higher ground. Well, you know, Jesus wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew's Gospel with a parable of getting to higher ground. If you recall, he said in Matthew chapter 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And then the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded or built on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. David is asking God to bring him to the rock that is higher than himself. David is asking God to bring him to a safe altitude where he can build his life on the rock. Because he's come to understand that on his own, he cannot ensure his own safety. In fact, on his own, he's gotten into trouble. Only God can lead him to a place that is higher than he. So what's our point today? Well, is there an area of your life where God is saying, hey, can you look at this in a humble way? Can you humble yourself before God and acknowledge where what you have done is wrong. Where you are weak. And as a result, you're in a place that you feel overwhelmed. You know, in the New Testament, 
James, the author, quotes the Proverbs in saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he goes on to say, so submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. He will flee from you, but draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. In other words, he will lead you to a rock that is higher than you, that is higher than me. And he will provide forgiveness from your past and he will provide power to continue your climb towards more secure footing for your future. So as we close this message, I want to give you a chance to maybe get real with God, come to a place of repentance, acknowledging the mess that you find yourself in. Now, if it's because of somebody else's abuse, that's I'm not telling you to take that upon yourself. But if you can take a good, honest look at where you're at, the mess that you're in, can you acknowledge the part that you've played in getting you there? Can you then approach God with a righteous humility, asking him to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to lift you from the miry clay, to set your feet upon a rock that is higher than you? It's basically a prayer of repentance where you say, God, there are areas of my life that I've not fully surrendered. I've not fully surrendered these areas, and so humble me today and allow me to give them to you. And in those areas of my life that I've not yet fully confessed of my weakness, my wrongdoing, my sin, forgive me, God. Forgive me of my unfaithfulness. And then ask God for courage. Uh, to follow his lead as he takes you to a higher place than, than you can get on your own. Then by the power of the Holy Spirit, ask God to show you the inadequate fortresses that you have tried to build in your own strength. And then ask him to help you trust him as he empowers you to soar to new heights so that you can live not by uh, strength, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit as he leads you to the rock that is higher than what you could ever find on your own. All right. Well, that's the message today. Uh, hopefully that uh, touches you where you, you were at. Maybe some of you are struggling with some stuff. And it, it takes us being honest and humble and saying, God, I, I've messed things up. And God loves it when we come with broken and contrite hearts. Because now he can then fix us. He can then lift us to where we need to be. And so it's not a bad thing to say, I was wrong. Um, I contributed to the mess that I'm in. I, I believe David is at that place here in Psalm 61 saying, this is partially on me, God. So help me get to a higher place than what I can do. And uh, when you are able to do that, I have faith that God will help change the things in your life. Uh, he'll forgive you and he'll give you the strength and the uh, wherewithal to begin to uh, rise above those things in the future. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Lisa Welly, for being my executive producer. Thank you, Steve Pittman, for being our tech guru. And uh, we will catch you next week. <laughs>